Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the End Time Tribune. I hope that uh, everybody's ready to continue our dive into the crucible. Me and Brian have been working on this in the background for weeks now, so much more pertinent information coming to light, and as a matter of fact, it seems on a daily basis it's being hard to to keep up with what's actually going on on the ground. Uh, Brian sent me new links just last night to information that's just, it, it makes you shake your head. It's like, why wasn't this stuff out in the public uh, on the event horizon when these things were happening? But nothing was spoken of in the news as far as the Western media is concerned. And Brian sent me the link to the article in English. I start investigating it today. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just it's just off the charts. So, Brian, uh, how's your week uh, been past few days since we did the last End Time Tribune? And uh, your thoughts on how fast this information is coming into the light? Because it's just it's it's going on at breakneck speed. All right. Well, how's my week been? That's uh. That's a topic I'm not going to go into. Um, I mean, this all depends on exactly what information you're bringing up here because we've talked about quite a few different things over the course of time here. So if you want to kind of fill me in on which one specifically you're speaking of. Yes, I was referring to the article that you sent me last night uh, that's dropping uh, restrictions on the visas between two particular nations which allows, well, the Iranian citizens to flee. It, well, it provides them a more direct route straight to Europe. And it bothers me because I looked today, couldn't find anything about it, Brian. I couldn't find anything about it in the Western news. Uh, so just that alone is just off the charts. I mean, this is... This is a powder keg ready to blow because they're going to show you pictures of families with children. Brian, you and I know that's not 
this is what this is going to be used for. You and I both know that. It's just absolutely off the charts. Uh, that I couldn't find anything in, you know, uh, MSNBC or ABC, any of them. I looked. I didn't see anything at all. And that's troubling. Well, this is sort of the gist of things that we've been dealing with for quite some time. Um, I mean, our, you know, not to go too far into it, but we know full well our uh, Western-backed uh, news sources, at least here in America, seem to only cover what they want to claim is relevant. And, of course, we've got some really decent investigative reporters out there, but as far as covering stuff within the Balkans, for instance, 90% of the time you're not going to see anything unless a full-scale war is broken out. And this was where this one was a little bit shocking because why we're bringing this up is in the direction on top of it where I want to examine tonight. Well, this is where some of the stuff that Matthew and I have spoken of is when you begin to look at what's been happening with Iran since the 1979 revolution. And then you go back and you look at what happens here with Alexander the Great's chronology, where he went, his reasoning, and then you look at the current day map and compare what's going on with Iran at the same time. But to make matters worse, this goes back into something we've spoken of before many times as well about World War I and how its chronology seems to also overlay on the top of certain events because to explain this a little bit better and as to why he brought this up and i just finished going through this book um from this israeli man the secret war with iran the 30-year clandestine struggle against the world's most dangerous terrorist power and when you get done going through this material you just walk away shaking your head thinking I had no idea how bad these things really were. And to the degree that Iran has been embedded within these various organizations throughout the world, you get to the question I was asking the other night, how in the world is anybody going to contain this? And I had to mull over this a bit. I looked at it from a billion different directions. My mind went down, well, maybe the special forces will have something to do with that because, well, we know full well that there's been many changes within how these groups are fighting this war on terror. Notably enough, the um, asymmetrical warfare style that has now come to the forefront and center with the American forces, for instance, actually was developed by the Israelis. And you should have already figured that out, but then again, to a degree, in the midst of all of this, it seems like Israelis' technology and everything has been at the forefront. The drones, for instance, those were first used by the people in Israel with all the different circumstances they've had going on around them and in their own backyard. So I began to think this over and think this over and think this over, and then it dawned on me. Well, of course, we know full well that World War I was initiated in the Balkans between the Serbians' actions, Austria-Hungary, and the whole complex ball of wax that goes into this. 
But things get rather interesting when you compare what happens here with Alexander. Because, I mean, just from, you know, if we start at the first year of his reign, 336 in the spring, summer, October, November, December, these four things I'll read in a row are all tied into that. In the spring, we have Parmenian leads the vanguard into Asia. Okay, in the summer, we had the murder of Artaxerxes IV, ascension of Darius III. October, the murder of Philip and the ascension of Alexander. November through December, Alexander gained support of the Greek towns. But here's the kicker. When you flip over to 335 B.C. in the summer, Alexander campaigns in the Balkans. That's when I began to look and all of a sudden stumbled on what Matthew was referring to. In August of last year, Iran and Serbia signed an agreement where they no longer have to use the visas to travel through Serbia. What this is causing in the midst of it as well, one of the, uh, for instances, that I found that was just a late breaking news piece is that the refugees themselves are filtering in through those different areas in the Balkans, which, let me point out, on top of it is also part and parcel with why we've had this major, major outbreak of nationalism that, of course, started in the Eastern European nations and then obviously filtered across, and now it's starting to affect the regular European nations, but you flip it around, in America as well, we had the same thing flare up here with this last election campaign. Its most prominent starting point, though, is right back in those Eastern European nations again. Right how we saw things going on in World War One, And, you know, we can go even further backwards and look at a whole lot of other odds and ends within this, as Matthew had brought up and had us all sort of examine in the program on the sign of war. Well, of course, we begin to find out that Napoleon, of course, was deeply tied in with these movements. But this is, you know, to understand the nationalism, you have to keep kind of going back and back and back and back in history. I mean, if you even begin to look at the time frame around the Crusades, you see the same thing happening. But you can even look at other elements and see pieces of it happening there as well. Now, understanding the Middle East as well, on top of it, has a lot to do with these different movements, including nationalism. Socialism got heavily in the mix. And then the, uh, you know, as I brought up before, the infamous shield against this is where you start getting into these political Islamic movements, which they're referring to as the Islamist movements, usually is what you'll see them um, underneath that broad blanket. Is that simple? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Is there seem to be a root in modern days? Oh, you better believe it. But what happened here with this situation with them basically lifting those visa connections is causing even more trouble in these Eastern European nations. And this stayed off my radar completely back from August last year, which I was going through uh, Balkans news quite extensively 
throughout those time periods, and I'm rather shocked that I missed that one, or maybe, as is atypical with me, I probably forgot if I did see it. But this is now beginning to cause very large problems. And, you know, as Matthew was pointing out, there is a reason that it is important to examine even just zeroing in on the Balkans as far as these movements, because that's kind of what I wanted to look at in this episode. Understanding these movements here of uh, when you have the ramp come up, because it's, you know, it's just something pretty peculiar if you actually look at the directions a little more closely. And, you know, this is starting in a, sorry about that, I have the other program sitting. It's in verse 4 where this begins, I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased and magnified himself. Now, of course, the English is only going to give you, as we've stated time and time again, it's only going to give you one stream of data. But it's when you begin to examine the Hebrew, and I haven't even looked at the Greek. This word for westward, for instance, is going to tell you something real interesting. And it's when you pull up a, uh, I don't remember exactly what type of projection globe that is, that's a little bit more spherical, but it's flat. All of a sudden, you start understanding why it's stating things in the way it does when you tie in where all Iran right now has a major foothold throughout the world. Now, the first word here is westward. But you see, this westward is rather interesting, and there's multiple other uh, Hebrew words that are used for west. I've already checked, and I found, I believe, three or four of them when I was running through here real quick to double uh, check something. But this one, to give the, uh, well, let's go to the uh, Brown's driver. The word itself is H3220, and that one is C, which, you know, obviously to give the general definition here that would have tied into at least the ancient understanding of this it would have been mediterranean sea red sea dead sea sea of galilee sea general mighty river nile the sea great basin and the temple court which that one i find very interesting i had read through these last night seaward west westward so all of a sudden you get a little bit more of a broader implication of where this westward is and then you get obviously northward which you got a standard word for north here. And then when you get to southward, all of a sudden, lo and behold, once again, we come to a very specific word that there's also multiple words for south. Once again, this one's Negev or the Negev. That's really quite important in understanding the uh, entirety of the uh, points where everything has completely move forth from in the beginning of these cycles because when you look down towards going through the Sinai Peninsula and all of a sudden go over to the west there into Egypt, you begin to find the modern root of these political Islam movement, most notably Muslim Brotherhood, which that's a complex topic. It's one I plan on, we're going to cover this fairly in-depth in a program just on developments within Egypt because this is still one I'm trying to get to the bottom of 
and there's just so much so much tied into this that you have to get information from multiple authors here. I've already had to pick up two books and some of this is just getting to be real ridiculously dry reading that's leading nowhere. And luckily I stumbled on something else last night that I hope is going to help um, shed some light on this because once you understand where all they're embedded, this begins to make an even larger picture. Because even as I had looked at this real quick today, I went back to World War I to take a look at some stuff. We had other movements that were flaring in those directions that were being spurred on by the Ottoman Empire. So this, uh, this whole thing gets more complicated by the moment. The more I look and look and look at each different little piece, you start seeing these patterns so and most specifically that's the um pattern that matthew was referring to because when you realize on top of it like he brings up with that just one article i referenced his campaigns in the balkans all of a sudden you look at what happened at serbia and in the midst while i have him uh comment on some of the things I've said here. I'm going to pull up another article, and I've got this actually detailed quite extensively in this book. So I'm going to hand it back over to you, Matthew. Well, it is amazing, Brian. You you talk to some people, and uh, they don't have a clue about the Ottoman Empire during World War One. They They actually, I mean, I've had several people say, well, you're crazy. Uh, that was us against the Germans. And World War II was an exact repeat of it. Ottomans were never there. Really. Really. So, you're saying that the entire Middle Eastern theater never happened in World War One, And they, they honestly did not know anything about it. They had no idea what was going on. They had no idea... Um, of the Armenian genocide, they have no, they had no idea of the Assyrian War for Independence. None of that. They had no idea what was going on, and absolutely blows me away. I mean, you're taking out, uh, well, the entire Arab campaign. It 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 it, it blows me away. Okay, and you go to ask, well. How did that campaign even exist? And, and they're like, well, I don't know who helped with it. If you don't know, the Assyrians played a major part. The Greeks played a major part. And the Jews themselves played a major part. I, I'm just blown away that you don't know who was helping the British. Uh, well, I mean, the Allies in general. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, <coughs> excuse me, if you don't know, there was not just a Palestinian campaign. There was a Mesopotamian campaign and the Caucasus campaign, the Persian campaign, and, and they're just, they don't know anything about it. And it's enough to, I mean, rattle your cage when you know that uh, in modern times, this was the perfect 
uh, utilization of asymmetrical forces in the modern history books. This was it. Now, you might talk to some people that know at least about the Armenian Genocide. And they can talk about that, but they think it's actually occurred at a different time in history. They're, oh, well, that wasn't during World War One, was it? That was World War Two. or I thought that was even after World War Two. And and I just I just shake my head. You have no idea what was happening. Um it's just been so permeated in the entertainment industry that the only thing there was was Germans and Japanese. That's it. And you even try to uh, talk to some military buffs. Well, what about, you know, Rommel's campaign? Yeah, Rommel was supposed to be the greatest. Well, you know where he was at, right? Well, he was in Europe. He fought against Patton. No. He didn't. And it's just, it's just enough to, to blow you away that... And you ask him about uh, Italy, and they might know uh, about Mussolini... But they have no idea that uh, the mass amount of casualties he caused by going in to the Horn of Africa, and, and nobody even, they have no remote clue as to what actually was going on outside of the Germans and the Japanese. And it's just stunning. If you don't know, if you haven't read uh, about the Caucasus campaign, the Persian campaign, uh, you you really don't know a whole lot about World War One, and that's the truth. So Brian, uh, people need to get a really firm grasp that. History is cyclical. That is why eschatology is isochronal. That's why. And we have all this news going on, and they just keep it hush-hush. They keep it hush-hush. They keep it hush-hush. Now, I know that the Germans and the Italians and everybody's upset because they're having this mass of, it, of immigrants that they are being told... Are refugees from Syria fleeing war. Oh, they have no idea who's coming in through the back door. I mean, you... The law is always the best way to go. And when you take the natural borders and protections provided by visas, and you just drop them, you're asking for trouble. You have no idea how far it will go. So, Brian? Well, I would prefer to point out that it's not that they're coming in the back door now. Folks, they've been in the back door for so long, it's absolutely ridiculous. Because the deeper you begin to look into many of these varied groups that are tied in with these just radical extremism, whatever terminology they want to give it. Um, let's just keep it simple, terrorists. Even though 
you know, folks, keep this in the back of your mind. We got terrorists on every side because in the midst of this, as all these things were flaring up and the very beginnings of what led to September 11th, domestic terrorism started flaring up as well. And that even goes further backwards. So this is a term that, to a degree, uh, has a little bit more meaning to it. Um, you know, some of the work I'm flipping back and forth, this guy's uh, newest book that just came out here that wrote The Secret War with Iran, is detailing the entire history of the Mossad. And they even referred to the campaigns that the Israelis were waging against the British, against varied um groups within the Arabic communities as far as, for instance, we had the famous Grand Mufti who was directly tied in with Hitler, but he was also tied in with this other infamous group from Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood. They will even describe what was happening there as a campaign of terror against the British. So this terminology, to a degree, can kind of get confusing if you try to just use that as your blanket term and then that's where unfortunately they've come up with about 50,000 new ways to describe this political far right group within the Islamic communities that have pushed things to the extreme that they're at now so you got so many blanket terms trying to cover that and the terminology just gets to the point of confusion and absolutely ridiculous your media, now they try to fight about what's politically correct, this, that, and the other thing. And people, you just have to understand quite clearly that the regular folks in the Muslim communities, they're not even keen um, at all in the slightest what's going on within these right-wing variants within the Islamic community. So you always got to separate between the two. Are these refugees coming in the major danger? No. I would honestly have to say the dangerous elements had been planted so far back and nobody was paying attention to it during that time frame because of what? Okay, the last program that we brought up with Wolves in Sheep's Clothing. Okay, folks, as far as I'll just give the American example of this. During the war in Afghanistan, they basically referred to the Mujahideen as they were fighting the Russians at that point in time as the angels. Okay, at that point in history, the Western world that was trying to take care of uh, communism and bring about the fall of the Soviet Union, okay, these people were our allies at that time, folks. Now, I, I don't really doesn't matter to me one way or the other if folks like that or not. That's the fact of the matter. As time progressed, obviously things spun out of control. But the right-wing establishment, even within the church communities, were completely allied with these people. And folks, you need to recognize these patterns because they're important. But nonetheless... You know, to factor this in, just to give a um, a little blanket understanding of some of the spots where, for instance, Hezbollah had begun to operate. Now, here's a little quote out of this book. Uh, According to the CIA report, Iran and Hezbollah had operated 
in this way in the United States, the Balkans, Cyprus, Spain, Mexico, Thailand, the United Kingdom, Austria, Germany, Venezuela, as well as Argentina. Few people realize that Hezbollah has attempted operations in these countries. The CIA maintains that Hezbollah's activities have included the creation of sleeper cells and the gathering of information in preparation for carrying out operations in many countries in Europe and North America. So that just gives you a small understanding of who's where. But it gets a little bit more complex when you begin to find out over and over and over again, as I've discovered, that through the Muslim Brotherhood and groups that have been offshoots from getting involved in their theological ideas, the most notable one is, uh, I believe off the top of my head, is Saeed Khatib. It's a strange name. I'm probably butchering it. But it was his ideologies that really began to shape things. And there were even groups in Lebanon at that time where he stated that we need to be combined with one another. And, I mean, this man passed away in the late 60s. He was assassinated, obviously, because there's a whole, whole deep history going on with Egypt and all the events that have transpired transpired back and forth and back and forth between the governing bodies and the Muslim Brotherhood, which again, like I said, that's going to be a different topic because I'm in the middle of looking deeply into that specific area because it's so key critical in understanding everything here. You factor in on top of it, as was stated before, you know, you even go back into the late 40s, the 50s, but you can even spin the clock backwards. Germany at that time during World War II began to work with these different groups that are up there in the midst of, uh, you know, all the uh, infamous stands now is what they refer to them as after they broke off from the Soviet Union. Well, you had large Muslim populations in those areas and the Germans had tried to figure out how to use their belief system to get them to go to this jihad idea to fight against uh, the Soviet Union. And here's where we spin it back around. This is the same idea that was being used by the Ottoman Empire as they were trying to get these people to engage with these different nations. So you keep going back and forth and back and forth with this whole idea being used within the last 120 year time span starting from 1899. It's a constant. It's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But inside of Germany, you had one of the Nazi uh, people basically in the midst of that. He was pretty much stoking these ideas. He did deep studies in all of these areas, went to the Central Asian areas the outlying areas within the Soviet Union. And this is when they began to start trying to use these same elements. And then like I brought up before, this is where you realize the importance of this Grand Mufti in Palestine, who on top of it also had connections with the founding members of the Muslim Brotherhood. The biggest 
confusing factor that everybody has been getting caught up in in their minds is they think that somehow the um, Sunni-Shia split is the main point of contention. Not when you're talking about these specific groups. Now, Islamic State, when they came into the equation, well, they completely, they went pretty much full bore. Anybody that doesn't join with us, we're going to kill you. And this is one of the factors that's been a little different in the equation where they did start targeting the Shiite something fierce. This caused a massive break within the varied leaders within Al-Qaeda where they said, uh, wait a minute, we can't be doing this. You guys are crazy. But then, of course, as we get the complexities involved there, some of the old guard, as they refer to it, in Al-Qaeda started to remove themselves or be killed, whatever factor came into the equation, you had some of them join in with Islamic State where other groups didn't. And once again, that's to a degree getting ahead of ourselves as well because there's the whole factor with Syria that we have to deal with here at some point. And that whole scenario in Syria has gotten so complex that that's not an easy area just to jump into and go, here's what happened in a two-hour program. This is just completely complex. But once again, when we go back and look at Alexander the Great's pathway, okay, he spends some time going through Syria. There's a reason. So that is kind of the key critical point here folks as we go through and we look at these circumstances with iran it would be best to get this whole ideology of the sunni shia divide out of the equation the connections with the muslim brotherhood and the iranian revolution not to even mention what broke out on the other side of the equation in 1979 with the pakistani attack on that embassy all of these things had roots in the same places. This includes when you look at a whole plethora of the major elements within the Afghanistan war against the Soviet Union because these same ideologies kept filtering through whichever means and making their way all over the world. And they came into Afghanistan and was one of the most major influences on some of the uh, most... Uh, how do you put this, important elements that, especially the CIA, um, the ISI, and other groupings within these very intelligence communities, which also includes the Saudis were very deep in this as well with their intelligence agencies. So you had this whole ideology was moving through these areas. And that that's the big one is, uh, well, where did these ideas for the revolution come from in Iran and you keep going back and forth in this, and you begin to realize that these threads are so deeply connected with one another that when you try to separate the two out, you just get to the realization you can't separate them. Because, you know, even as we had been talking just about this Balkan section here, when we had the breakup of Yugoslavia, for instance, and all the wars that broke loose during that time frame in the late 90s, going up even until 2000, you had varied factions within the Mujahideen coming out of Afghanistan that had showed up there and all kinds of complexities going on in there at the same time. 
So when you look at the Balkans, for instance, they have singled out Hezbollah in this, for instance. And even there's an article I just grabbed the post to uh, the Twitter page so that people could kind of get an indication of what I was getting at. You see, this one only is mentioning Hezbollah, but it's, it's more than Hezbollah. The whole area within these varied Islamic areas in the Balkans you've got a factor of some of these groups in there are tied into these radical elements. Not all the Islamic people in there. Don't confuse yourself by going everybody's bad in that territory. It's sometimes why I don't like covering these circumstances is sometimes everybody tries to label everybody else as good or bad, and no, that's not how things work. But the point is, is all these elements had filtered in there, and you've got all these different connecting threads back and forth between, let's say, for instance, Hezbollah. We've got, we obviously, that is almost like, I guess as they would state, beating a dead horse at this point. Everybody knows their connections to Iran. But then here's we get where we get into the complex factor. Well, what's going on in Gaza? Okay, we know for a fact now in the last week, it's even been, once again, they keep telling everybody that one of the smaller groups inside of the Gaza Strip is Islamic Jihad. And they are stating, yeah, well, they're full well connected with Iran beyond any shadow of a doubt. Well, on top of it, we know that Hamas is deeply tied in with them as well. And then, of course, most people's minds are going, well, wait a minute, aren't they Sunnis? Yeah. But it was at the time of the first Intifada. It's when the Muslim Brotherhood groups inside of Gaza took over under the name Hamas. It was right there at the beginning. Now, folks, there's a documentary I went through here last week, and it's entitled something along the lines of Inside Hamas. And boy, oh boy, when you look at this and you realize what happened there, anybody that was in opposition of Hamas, they were literally beating the living daylights out of them on the street, throwing them in the back of places, locking them up. It was a mess. And folks, you have to know these factors of what's happening there in the Gaza, especially considering when you look at all the major events, for instance, since Passover, starting with that incident, and moving forward with all these Gaza protests, because if you don't understand what's happening there in Gaza, well, you end up on the side of the fence, basically stating that everything right now that's being done by the IDF, they're completely evil. The IAF and Shin Bet, you will start running around and making those same blanket statements, repetitions, and running in circles. Because, of course, if that's all you're looking at, you don't understand what's happening behind the scenes. This has been repeated and reported on a continual basis. When all of these massive parts of these protests keep breaking out, you even have Hamas themselves are coming forward and saying, oh, yeah, those were our guys. Same goes with Islamic Jihad, admitting that they were their people that were the ones killed. So, unfortunately, yes, we've had civilian casualties in this mix and we've had a larger 
much larger percentage of these being actual elements that are tied in with these groups. And I had stated this back when this happened, during the Passover, when this broke out at the beginning. People, until we know the facts on the ground, I'm not saying anything. I'm not jumping to one conclusion or the other. Almost when you go back further and even begin to look at the history involved with all the different things that have broken out in Gaza Strip. Okay, events happening right now in the news start to make sense. This, what is happening here, just in the Gaza Strip alone, is far more complex than any of these Western analysts, for the most part, are even considering. And you have the entire world is completely turned around and focused on that circumstance. And I really get frustrated with the fact that you have a lot of these leaders ready to completely jump down Israel's throat about this. When these leaders should actually know all of what I'm bringing to you. And yet, why don't they? It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Actually, I'll take a break. My mind was going in a direction I wanted to go, but it stopped. Hand it back over to you, Matthew. Well, Brian, you know, we're we're concentrating on Iran, specifically with the news coming up with all visa restrictions between them and Bulgaria have been dropped. Does anybody know of the British-Soviet invasion of Persia? Everybody gets real quiet. Does nobody know that it was Soviet and British? The reason why you don't know about it is because we really didn't take part in it. And the whole purpose, and this is, you can find this in any history books. Its purpose was those Iranian oil fields. I mean, that's, that's common knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. And if you think that the Sunni or the Shia remember anything different, you have major problems, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't realize why Bulgaria was even involved in World War II, you've probably got some lessons to learn. Because the whole reason why the stint as to why they was in it was because uh, they were massively upset, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because they had had all of their Greek territories taken from them. Now, I'm sorry if you don't know this, but yes, I'm telling you the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Bulgaria controlled... Uh, Greece, Macedonia, uh, and, and nobody has a remote clue as to what was actually going on the ground. And those people that are there now, they know. Ladies and gentlemen, they know. So it blows me away when you try to talk to people about what happened then and why it's important now. They have no idea, but the people on the ground there that's been raised there for generations, uh, they know. They know exactly why Bulgaria joined the Axis. Uh, I, look, ladies and gentlemen, I know you don't know this, but in World War II, Russia was our ally, and we invaded Persia. 
they just, they really did change the name on you so you wouldn't know. And Bulgaria really did lose its massive territories in Greece in World War One. I'm telling you the truth. It's, it's real. Now, when you realize those Balkans is going to be this flashpoint, and you realize that Bulgaria, in interacting with Iran, is opening the same corridor that has been there since World War One, And those people on the ground are not happy, have never been happy, that they've been subjugated by, look, not only the West, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to rain on your party, it's the Anglo-Saxons. What happened then, please try to understand, Russia was our allies, and they, and Great Britain, invaded Persia to seize the oil lines. That's the truth, and they did it. They got away with it. They set up whoever they wanted uh, to be the leader there, and uh, that's where history progressed from. Uh, I mean, all the revolutions, you know, that that occurred, you know, 1950 to like, or 1915 to like uh, 25. I mean, if you have no idea the amount of genocides that actually took place during this time. Wow. If you don't even know there was an Assyrian revolution, I, I mean, you... Ladies and gentlemen, the only thing you know are the Cold War tactics of the entertainment industry. I really do hate to be the bearer of bad news. But the Nazis, they were the bad people. That's That's true. I hate to rain on your party. The commies were the good guys, and they helped you defeat the Nazis. And the people on the ground, that's not what they think happened. That's what they know. This horde of Anglo-Saxons invaded them, took their country, took their oil, and that's all they know. Now, you might call those people... Russians, and you might call those people, you know, the British. That's not what they call them. And everybody needs to know that uh, you better have your eyes on those Balkans. It is the crucible. Everything has started there in the past, and it's going to start there again. Whether you're informed about it in the Western media or not, because I almost guarantee you, you're not going to be notified of it. So, you know, people, you, you really do need to understand what really set the stage in place when the Ottoman Empire and Bulgaria joined the Axis. That's when things got way out of control. But the people on the ground, they know this. They remember it. It's just the Western entertained current generation that has no idea what their forefathers did to those people. And they know it really don't matter if you're Shia or Sunni. The only thing that matters is that you're not Anglo-Saxon. Brian?
Well, I mean, I am going to say that you and me seem to have different paths in which we're going in this program, which there's nothing wrong with that. They all collide all together, either or. See, where I'm trying to get everybody to understand is uh, how we have this northward, or we have the westward, northward, southward movement. Yeah, Matthew is taking everybody to where the important mega flashpoint that's going to set this whole whole kit and caboodle in motion once the he-goat slams into that ram. So that's the thing. In order to explain this, we have to go backwards and forwards. And I'm going to grab some pieces from out of this book again to illustrate how it is that all of a sudden the Balkans start getting largely into the equation. Because this is going to do exactly that. It's going to show you the same pattern I'm trying to explain to everybody here. Let's see here. I'm going to start with this paragraph here. It's a little bit of a strange spot to go in, but it gets the uh, it gets you everybody to understand the gist of things here. Because in the scheme of things, every spot mentioned here is of utmost importance. And this is where I'm bringing up, don't just be looking for Hezbollah floating around out there. Don't just be looking for the Iranians floating around out there. Now, you're not going to hear this on your standard mainstream news. The link between the incipient, incipient Al-Qaeda was strong. And independent of Sudanese hospitality, Iranian intelligence, and bin Laden began moving the refugees from Sudan to five other countries, Yemen, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, and Lebanon. In the camps where they were housed, Al-Qaeda, as we know it today, was born. Bin Laden himself set up his new headquarters in Afghanistan. Iran's attempts to export the Islamic Revolution were not limited to the Middle East and North Africa. Seizing an opportunity to aid a Muslim minority in distress, Iran became involved in the various conflicts in the Balkans as well. Here, too, Tehran's interests converged with those of bin Laden. On December 5th, 2001, a senior Mossad official came to the office of Munir al chief of intelligence services of Bosnia and Herzegovina. I'm going to stop there for a side note moment. Folks, that area is directly under the Prince of Yavan's control. He was then there to be briefed on the preliminary findings of an investigation conducted in Bosnia into the World Jihad movement in the wake of the 9-11 attacks. Elil Biek spoke of his urgent need for the West assistant. The Mossad man was surprised at the depth of Iran's penetration into Alabek's vulnerable nation. Our country has become a playing field, an arena in the struggle for influence between Shiite Iran and Sunni Saudi Arabs. The Mossad official was told the two men agreed that Israel and Bosnia would cooperate in the war against terror. The roots of an Islamic terror base in the Balkans can be traced to the civil war of the 1990s, when the Western world was standing on the sidelines Daniel Korski, a graduate of Cambridge oh, University's right. International there, Relations there. Center, had researched Balkan terror in the wake of the Civil War. The world in general and the United States in particular, Korski says, is not comfortable when it recalls 
the circumstances that made the Republic of Bosnia-Herzegovina dependent upon Arab generosity and Iranian weaponry during the war, not to mention what made it welcome up to 3,000 Muslim volunteers into its armed forces in the absence of any other savior. Outside of the country, there is very little public awareness of the circumstance in which Bosnia found itself with the heritage of Mujahideen. Again, folks, that's the Af- Afghanistan variant of the Islamic fighters that were being used during the Cold War, for those of you that are not familiar with that term. Beginning with the rule of Khomeini, Iran has continued to preach and practice the export of the revolution through assistance to liberation movements in the Muslim world, but only after the end of the Cold War did this begin to seem possible in Europe. Iran was not interested in crawling like a worm into other countries, but wished to enter through the front door. Like an invited guest, said Khomeini, the, in- the investigations picked up after the collapse of the Soviet Union. The communist atheistic one-party state in Yugoslavia fell in its wake. In 1991, delegations from the Muslim world promptly came to the Muslim areas in the Balkans. Predominantly from Iran and Saudi Arabia, they brought large amounts of money with which to restore and rebuild. Neglected and ruined mosques and to construct classrooms for religious instruction, in many cases the Muslim aid was much more abundant and effective than that given by the West. James Woosley, director of the CIA at the time, said, We looked with great concern at the very great amount of money coming in, especially from Iran, for the promotion of very a very particular type of Islam in the Balkans. There are many observant Muslims in Bosnia today than there were in 1992. Historical mosques are no longer museums for tourists, but houses of worship. New mosques, along with the Centers for Islamic Study, has sprung up all over, built now in the ornate style of the Persian Gulf, rather than the local traditions. Anyone walking the streets of Sarajevo or Zeneca today will see, alongside the girls in shorts, quite a few in traditional garb. Pork is a rarity in restaurants. The well-known turmoil of the Balkans in the 1990s, ethnic cleansing against Muslims, the civil war, the intervention of Serbian dictator Slobodan Milosevic, and the perceived indifference of the West led the leader of the Bosnian Muslims and the first president of Bosnia and Herzegovina, Alija Bogevic, to appeal to Muslim states for assistance. Iran and Saudi Arabia responded happily and helped circumvent an embargo that was preventing Bosnia from legally arming itself. Funds from Iran were channeled through the Iranian embassies in Sarajevo and Vienna. And according to Mossad sources, armed deals were arranged there. The airfield at Vosoko, northwest of Sarajevo, served as a secret landing place for an arms shipment from Iran, bringing light arms anti-aircraft ammunition and anti-tank missiles to Muslim fighters in the growing three-way civil war between Muslims, Serbs, and Croatians. Folks, this goes on for quite some time. If I were to keep reading this, I could take up the entire next two hours. The key points to take note of in this, again, folks, you have a mix of different groups that are involved here within what's happening in the Balkans. You've obviously got 
elements going back from the Afghanistan war with the Mujahideen, who many of them are tied in with Muslim Brotherhood teachings. We have Al-Qaeda, once again, root teachings coming from the Muslim Brotherhood. Yes, Osama bin Laden had first come across somebody in the Muslim Brotherhood when he was playing soccer when he was young. Then later, because of certain schools and colleges that were set up in Saudi Arabia, they taught the text from this uh, Katib person that was one of the main changing factors in the Muslim Brotherhood's teachings. They were teaching classes there. They were teaching them in Cairo. They were teaching them in Pakistan. They were teaching them in Afghanistan. Okay, so you start spinning full circle. So when you look at what's happening with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, with the implantment of Hezbollah in these areas, you cannot separate these other groups. You cannot separate the ones associated with Muslim Brotherhood. You cannot um, separate Al-Qaeda. You can't do it because they're all working together. So this all of a sudden gives you more of a pretext and understanding as to when we see things play out this time around the ride with the he-goat, yes, his first strike is going to be going into that Balkans. That's going to light the fuse. Everybody, you got to understand, though, that fuse that's going to be lit, it is far more complicated than, at least in, as far as I had known before, going through this entire book and getting down to business and learning everything that's been going on here. It's a lot more complex than I ever knew. I'll give this back over to you for a bit, Matthew. Well, Brian, I hope that everybody's starting to see that these two sides are obviously, with your mention of the uh, construction of the new mosque not being in the tradition of the local people it's obviously what's happening is that we've been told that there's two sides of this coin and that is not altogether true these two sides are coming together both sides view the west to be the enemy and i wish i could say i was wrong about that but I mean, this has been going on for over a hundred years. They know who the real enemy is. It is the enemy that invaded them decades and decades ago. And they are putting their heads together. So, the Western media just keeps you thinking that, yeah, it's easy to keep the Muslims fighting. They kill each other, the Sunnis and the Muslims. And what happens when they get together and you don't know anything about it? Because you've just been told that lie and told that lie and told that lie. And now we have even bigger problems because it's been put into movies now. And everybody knows the repercussions of the Thief in the Night movie series being released and the Omen series being released. Everybody knows the catastrophic damage that did to the knowledge base in the church. So I would say that the lies being told in the media is really the least of our problems because now we have 
blockbuster entertainment behind that idea. And ladies and gentlemen, you, you need to know this, that if there's Syrians and there's Iraqis and these guys get together and they tell each other how their families were blown to bits, if you think it matters to them whether they're Shia or Sunni, you've entertained yourselves to death. You're you're going to you're going to have a really rude awakening because you're dealing with mothers that's soldier yes United States soldiers have killed their children killed their husbands and they were at home their husband would go out to go get a pail of water and they'd be well they call it target shot. They don't call it a sniper. They say that they're being target shot. That's what they say. And ladies and gentlemen, you get you get all these women in a room, and you're dealing with an animal you don't even know exists. I mean, they don't have no other choice but to get together because that's the choices they've been given by us. Brian? Well, and I mean, this is kind of the gist of the matter, folks, is, I mean, I, there might be some people asking, well, why are we looking down all these different tracks? Why are we looking at these paths, seeing these convergences between who split where, what, why, when, how, etc.? When you begin to look at all of these patterns, even going back 120 years, okay, for instance, here's a simple one. I just put in here quickly the terms for uh, Gaza just to see what happens. Of course, we end up, one of these is an Amos. I'll start here with one verse two. And he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn. The top of Carmel shall wither. For thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazael which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will also, I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Evan. And him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Ker, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the places thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnants of the Philistines shall perish, 
saith the Lord God. So we continue on. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tirus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole of captivity to Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyre, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And this keeps building, folks. Obviously, we just go down to the last verse in here. We keep getting a pattern of certain groups being brought up. Well, folks, it's when you begin to understand who these people are when it mentions people or where these locations are when it mentions locations. And then you compare all of these things and overlay them with these events that have started going back as far as just 1899, for instance, sheds major light onto this. That's why understanding, especially if once we go up into that flashpoint in the Balkans, if you don't know the fact of these groups are all working together outside of certain exceptions, because as I stated before, well, this is something Matthew and I have talked about in the background, Islamic State. Okay, they served a purpose, and they did their job. That job was to get everybody focused on them, while all kinds of other things have been going on and being set up that have led to where we're at now. And everybody remember that word for forces from him shall arise. That is plural. We've got more forces in this mix. You know, Brian, let, you know what, Brian, let me say this. Maybe I haven't been saying it clearly enough. The Mujahideen is a group, right? And the Muslim Brotherhood is a different group, right? With a different name, one in the same group, though, when you understand where their ideology came from. So and, and they're a branch. Who is their major enemy? Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're trying to say. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. And everybody knows it, I guess, except the American church. Ladies and gentlemen, the Mujahideen and the Muslim Brotherhood and however many other groups that Brian's been talking about, don't you realize that their enemy, number one, is you, not each other. And Brian's already proved that in this march of return in Gaza, he's, it's already been in the news that you've had major players there that's being funded by all the people that you're being told are enemies. Brian's told you that there's a group funded there by Iran. Well, guess who they're working with? They're there working with a group from Egypt. And they're there working with groups from Saudi Arabia. And they're definitely working with the groups there that's being funded by Turkey. And the only ones that don't know it is the American church. And it blows me away, Brian. Please continue. Well, to a degree, I would say some people have been trying to cover this, but the unfortunate issue that I've had with any of the, um, well, most specifically, and it's filtered into some of the other, well, no. Actually, it has filtered into all of the uh, quote-unquote Western churches. 
what as opposed to covering all these distinct connecting factors, instead what they have done is they're making every single Muslim into the bad guy. So, of course, if they just throw that blanket at you, you can't see the complexity of this web that you have to see. If you don't understand this web, well, then when you begin to look at certain, for instance, alliances that are coming up in end-time prophecy, then you can't begin to even grasp the reality of this picture. So this is why I've had to go down this road. Ultimately, and this is even, ironically enough, as I sit here looking, looking right at this, Amos 1 verse 12, but I will send fire upon Taman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. Everybody remember, when I talked about Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 6, that writer which we know is, well, they will call it, when the generalization, they'll call it war. That fourth rider heads out towards the south. Specifically, that word Taman comes up. That's the word used for south. Not in the Geb, Taman. That's where you kind of have to understand your directional headings. Because you're ending up with if you look at a flat projection of the globe, you begin to realize you're dealing with triangulations. When you're looking at where that specific rider goes out in Zechariah 6, there's a very major reason why it's heading in this direction. When you roll forward to 1928 and hit that fast-forward button as the years progress, the most important factor in understanding everything we're seeing happen in the world today its starting spot was Egypt. It still continues to be very important on a continual basis. It's not coincidence that it started there. And I'm just going to drop out the subtlety. All right, I've already found absolute evidence of the Assyrian being at play in Egypt at the time of the Muslim Brotherhood. And that's all I'm going to state about the matter for the time being. That is your mega starting point in which all these ideologies spread from that are causing the most major problems in the world today. The infamous war on terror. That's where its roots are. That's understanding where its roots spread to and then comparing that with the... Uh, map that Alexander the Great proceeded to run his course. Like I said, there was something in that word westward, and we're going to have to cover that in a completely different program. But folks, you better understand right now, as I brought up in last week's program, when you look at Argentina, and I already brought it up when I read that area, you realize Amerigos Vespucci is how this nation was named, and that Argentina was one of his main stomping grounds. We've covered so many patterns here in history over the course of the last couple of years. We had to go deeply into some information that I have taken directly from 
for instance, a guy that worked with the Justice Department under Jimmy Carter investigating the entire train of Nazi war criminals. He ended up writing three major books just from that starting point of that work. You have to, on top of it, understand what all was happening with Nazi Germany and with those war criminals and who all they got involved with after the fact as well. Because lo and behold, guess what, folks? You had them all deeply down there in Egypt as well. It's these overlaying patterns that become ultimately key critical. When you consider on top of it, too, what we have going on right now in the news, with, for instance, France and Germany and the major European power players out there sort of humming and hawing about getting on board with what was done by our current commander-in-chief in America here concerning the Iranian nuclear deal. You see, if you don't understand the history of what was transpiring in Europe, because basically in Europe, throughout Germany and France and all these other major nations, you had Iranian assassins that were completely just running wild, taking out any opposition members whatsoever, going after Mossad members. And now we're looking the other way up in those nations because they were concerned more about their uh, dealings with money and everything else to the point where even as we got to when they started trying to rein in the program, nuclear program there in Iran. This pattern is still holding today. And even this week, Netanyahu's out there in Europe talking to these leaders. This is where the parallels are going to come into place later. Because that's, uh, folks, you got to understand that Gomer, that's French, Germany, the British people. They're all Germanic. That's Gomer in the Bible. Nonetheless, the pattern starts to make sense. I'm going to hand that back over to you, Matthew, just on commenting on that little spot. Well, Brian, uh, you just stated what I was going to point out, that... These two contentious forces are going to come colliding, and the West really does derive all of its power from the West. Nobody has any idea what goes on south of our border, and most people have no remote clue. Oh my goodness, we found, <laughs> I mean, there's documentaries on the amount of Nazi camps that were set up south of the border. It's off the charts, and if you think that the Muslim Brotherhood, whoever, it doesn't matter what you call them, if you think they're not here actively doing everything in their power to set up their own bases, you're a little naive. And I've often talked about this, the lack of news we get from south of our border. And not only just from, you know, our immediate border, Mexico, you don't hear anything at all about South America. We we never hear what goes on in South America. It's it's amazing. And if you don't see what Brian is alluding to about this direction of the West, yes, we are going to have to do a broadcast on that. Going to have to. Because... Well, ladies and gentlemen, this particular 
word that Brian used. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a prophetic reference to that place that is surrounded by many yom, many waters. Ladies and gentlemen, why do you think they call it the West? And whenever they say the West, they mean Amargo Vespucci's America. Yeah, that's what they mean. They know it, but you don't. It's enough to blow you away. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you know, rabbis know prophetically why that word would be used in Isaiah chapter 11. Do you? Do you know why that word is used there? Let me guess, you didn't even know it was there. Well, they know it's there, and the important thing is what they think. That's what's important. And if you can't realize that uh, ladies and gentlemen, why don't you think all the uh, Jews in the West, why don't you think they don't go to Israel? That's what I thought. You don't have a remote clue. And that's sad. But you need to understand, uh, you need to take a serious look at Isaiah chapter 14. And you need to, you know, realize what's what's being talked about there. But you can't get it in English no matter what you do. You're not going to be able to see it. It's not going to make any sense to you in the Egypt. You're just not going to be able to see it. But I mean, you know, I don't know. The Yom Misraim. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no Sea of Egypt. But, Brian, uh, eventually, yeah, we do have to do a show on this. I'm glad you brought it up. We're starting to breach these topics about how important this is, but you know, you talked about, you know, even Amos earlier, and it blows me away that if I ask anybody if they could count what was being counted there, if they would even know. Because, ladies and gentlemen, three transgressions and four is mentioned how many times? Can you count them for me? Or do you even know what I'm talking about? Once again, the rabbis, they know what it's talking about, but of course they've probably never read it in English. So, you know, every explosive is a combination of chemical elements. Separate, they're completely harmless, but put them together and they'll blow you away. Brian, back to you. Well, this is, uh, you know, the spot to point out here. And see, uh, well, I was caught a little bit off guard. I planned to talk about this read whole area much later, but I was already prepped earlier in the week because I went to look at this just to take a look-see. Now, it's rather interesting when you pull up just the, um, if you just do the simple Wikipedia and uh, find the one that says Macedonia, and then in parentheses it's going to say region. It's pretty interesting what it tells you here. Macedonia is a geographical and historical region of the Balkan Peninsula in southeastern Europe. Its boundaries have changed considerably over time. However, it came to be defined as the modern geographical region by the mid-19th century. 
Nowadays, the region is considered to include parts of six Balkan countries. Greece, the Republic of Macedonia, which right now, folks, right now, the what they refer to as this Republic of Macedonia, oh boy. I would continually be putting Macedonia into your news searches because, once again, absolute chaos is breaking out there because they have the infamous naming dispute going on. There are sections inside of Greece within the northern, I believe there's a western and even an eastern area within Greece itself that they refer to as Macedonia. And they don't, they're not keen about this, uh, what they call it is a former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia. This has been a major name dispute is going on. Now, in the midst of these talks this week and last week, all of a sudden massive protests broke out because this, uh, current administration is basically trying to get the name changed so they can get thrown into NATO. So this is a major flashpoint, even as we speak at the moment. Moving forward, as I stated, six Balkan countries, Greece, the Republic of Macedonia. Okay, folks, and I just mentioned a number of these in that section I read out of that book. Bulgaria. Albania, Serbia, and Kosovo. Its oldest known settlements date back to approximately the 7,000 BC from the middle of the 4th century BC. The kingdom of Macedon became the dominant power of the Balkan Peninsula. Since then, Macedonia has had a diverse history. And folks, this is where you have to go through and even look further in this just uh, simple article here that'll show you the different ways that it's been broken up throughout time. They've got the Roman era. Well, we'll start, obviously, ancient times, and then you come down. Perticus I, for instance, and then you go to Alexander I, and then Philip II. It'll show you the expansion. You move forward, you've got the Roman era, then you've got the Byzantine era, then you've got the Ottoman era. You move further down in, you get the uh, demographics. That's going to tell you a whole lot as well. So as we had sort of discussed the uh, region in a previous episode concerning the entirety of the Prince of Persia's landmass, which is much larger than just Iran, well, this is where you have to understand the Prince Javan's landmass. And all of a sudden, when we're talking about events happening in the Balkans, when I mention those places, and you go backwards and listen to what I read from that book before, you're going to realize, wait a minute. All those places were just mentioned. Yes. I'm going to hand it back over. I think I said enough with just that statement. You did. You just named all the places. You did. And... Brian, the church just don't know this. They don't know to bring up, you know, any chapter in Amos or Daniel or Isaiah or or anywhere, really, and be able to open their eyes and see what's being talked about. They can't fathom what's going on. But, you know, the verse that you brought up, verse 4 of Daniel chapter 8, I saw the ram budding westward, northward, southward, 
and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue him from his power. But he did as he pleased, and magnified. Well, <coughs> under these situations, these circumstances which have been put into place by the West, this war on terror, there is no borders, that's exactly what's being put into place right in front of everybody's eyes because you're talking about you see it's not the Iranian army participating in Gaza Brian it's not because it's not it is able to do I'll read the last part of the verse again but he did as he pleased and magnified well, when you do what you please, of course you're going to be magnified. But the West don't realize they are the ones that put this in place. They're the ones that did this. So now we focus on the Balkans and those areas. The same exact thing is happening. And right under everybody's nose, Bible prophecy is coming to bear upon them and they just don't see it coming well they can't see it coming there's no way you can you can have this conversation this biblical conversation from an english translation brian i mean yes you can do some elementary things like at least use the strongs and start bringing up those words to see if well where else is those words used you can certainly bring up Amos 1 and 2 and realize what's going on. I mean, Amos 1, for three transgressions and for four. Well, how does Amos chapter 2 start out? For three transgressions and four. And surely you could make a, at least start an outline right there and start looking at the Strong's Concordance to see what you could come to a conclusion to. But the first thing you've got to put down in your mind, is that God himself said that time was cyclical. And not only that, he said with his own mouth that he chases after what's been, telling you unequivocally, you better know your history, because you are doomed to repeat it. Not if, you are going to repeat it. And... The only one I think that has a full grasp on this is the one hiding in the shadows right now, pulling all the strings. You know, I and my son had a talk today, once again, about the genetics of the matter. Brian, look, ladies and gentlemen, please realize in your mind that all the chapters and verses Brian and I are talking about, you're not going to repeat them because you don't know them. You're going to repeat them because God chases after what's been. And he's had no problems telling you that. It's just that you haven't been told that before. You've been told it now. So from this point forward, I'd hope you'd all put your trays in the upright position, fasten your seat belts. And grip the word of God as tightly as you can. Like I said, 
every explosive is just a combination of chemical elements that once puts that once it's put together is a lethal combination. And unfortunately, we have all played our part in doing this very thing so that these forces would be able to do as he pleased because he is doing that because we are so it's not illegal Brian well and this is uh cuz I think we're going to talk about this more in another program but folks I you know I've looked at some of the uh ideas floating out around out there that are being taught by other groups or they're doing websites. You know, and I, I, to a degree, I can see how they're trying to correlate certain odds and ends that are happening, but when they do this, they're not looking at their isochronal history to understand what they're looking at, and they're just trying to apply these things to whichever event they can find on the table right now as we speak. Now, Matthew had brought something up interesting on the social networks going quite a back, bit back further in history than I was looking with our isochronal events that are going on here with Daniel 11. Now, last week I sat down not knowing for certain what it was I was looking for, but I knew I had to go back and take a look at what is referred to as the 50 Years War in a PBS documentary, which you can find the whole series on YouTube quite easily because you can't really get it anywhere else right now. I sat down looking at what was going on with those Camp David Accords. And where they start out is going from obviously the Suez Crisis rolling forward to the Yom Kippur War. And it's a very specific event it's transpiring in the midst of this at that spot leading up to the Yom Kippur War. Everybody pay attention to what Daniel 11 verse 27 says. And I noticed it's even actually pretty easy to see just with the regular King James Version here. So I'll just read that. And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table. But it shall not prosper, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. All right, everybody. You need to understand this real quick. Something very important happened within those events leading up to the Yom Kippur War. Amor Sadat and the previous Assad, not young Assad that is now the tyrant on the throne in Syria, those two got together. They sat down at one table and tried to trick the king of Jordan. He immediately figured out what was going on. He fled immediately over to the leader of Israel. Because in the previous wars, well, it was pretty simple. Jordan was tired of losing these wars and losing land because of it. Jordan wasn't going to play this game any longer. But those two deceptively sat at that very same table, blatantly tried to deceive the king of Jordan. You don't have any better of a mix in this equation because if you pull up your historical references to when this locks into the Diodaci, for instance, I'll just pull from Keely and Delich here. It basically brings up that you're dealing with Antiochus Epiphanes, 
and Tommy Filamero. Well, where were they located? Okay. Yes, folks, we need to be looking towards that northern quadrant, going up towards Syria, and even looking at the rest of his kingdom, for that matter. But we know for a fact that the Ptolemies were ruling Egypt. So you need to see activity happening between the king of Egypt, and you have to have activity happening between the king of those northern regions. At this point in history, this would be Syria. Now we know we have an absolute and direct match for what transpired. That's where all these complexities come into the equation. So we don't look down and look at and carefully consider the things that are being stated in 11, Daniel chapter 11. We're going to miss some of the events that are playing out right in front of our eyes. Now we know full well when you look at Daniel 11 verse 30, We've had ships scramble to Cyprus now three times from 2014, 2017 on the 100-year anniversary of America entering World War I for that matter. And then we had them on top of it doing them again this year with the Syrian chemical attack. Okay, more information has come to the table finally concerning what happened there in Syria. An attack did happen. Here's the problem. The investigators, their job is not to ascertain who did it. And we really don't know at this point. It could have been Assad. It could have been Jayash al-Islam. Why do I bring that up? Because Russia warned two days previous to that that they were going to launch a chemical attack. If they were responsible for it, or even vice versa, no matter what, You've got the Assyrians' hand all over this. So we have to know the right places to look. I mean, the, the one, for instance, they have an entire thing dedicated just to Daniel chapter 11. And I was just utterly blown away by what I was looking at. Because um, he tried to mix in something about Turkey talking with another spot, and I'm going off for Pete's sakes. Yeah, Turkey could be in that region, but that's not the king of the north that we need to be looking at at the moment. Erdogan is deeply, deeply tied into this whole thing. And to be quite honest, it is very confusing a whole lot of the time here, trying to figure out what is going on in that realm. Well, this is where we go back around to that Gulen coup. It was reported all over the news that those members of that coup, they had Erdogan dead to rights, and he walked away. We, on top of it, know full well that there was massive UNESCO hearings that were going on in the midst of that coup. They kept running. They kept running the meetings. They just turned the cameras off during that time frame. Lo and behold, all of a sudden when everything gets released, that's the day that they did all the uh, rulings against Israel. So, yeah, we've got major things going on in Turkey. There's no denying that. But here's the key critical element. It's come out, and now you're starting to see it all over the place. Erdogan is Muslim Brotherhood. Now this locks you back into the King of the South. Pass it back over to you, Matthew. Yeah, we're winding up this program. Getting down to the end, last 15 minutes. Boy, 
I'm kind of wanting to step on glass here. I hope everybody's weighed really on their hearts what, what Brian just took the past several minutes to say. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this could literally take off any time now. I mean, really, the only thing we're we're waiting for is to somebody to come out in the open and sound the charge, really. I mean, we've been put into a perfect place to be trumped, really. There's no better word for it than to be trumped. I mean, right now we're in uh, trade disputes with all of our allies. This thing could go super critical really quick. If the Lord's rod is lurking in the shadows, and he does have a box of matches, I hope he don't have one out yet. Because I know how long it's taken me to become familiar enough with the Hebrew and the Greek to know what's going on. And I don't think all of you have that much time left. I really don't. You know, a sister of ours just posted today on Facebook about things going on in Guatemala. So I ask a simple question. I wonder what the percentage of Christians are there. She comes back with 40%. Is Protestant. I said, really? How, how many is Catholic? She come back with 45%. 85% of all Guatemalans claim Christ and the pictures that I saw today was undescribable. So 85% of them claim Christ and we're all irritated because it's not the weekend yet. Brian, I think I've spoken just about enough. We've got about 10 minutes left. Of course, we can probably push that past a little bit if we want to, but the mic is yours. <coughs> well, there is a couple of places I want to touch on. I'm glad you brought that Guatemala, that volcano there, folks. I hadn't seen anything on my regular news sources whatsoever, and I went to pull up the program I have here through our cable company to access some of the on-demand programs that we have available through there. And, of course, I've got it. The only news channel regular one I'll pull up, as far as cable goes, is usually BBC. And right there in broad daylight, all of a sudden I'm looking right at that Guatemala volcano and what just happened, and I was completely blown away by it. It's just terrible what just happened there, folks. We have to remind ourselves, just like Matthew brought up, we had some other uh, major things play out here this week that are also of uh, utmost importance. I mean, let me bring up the timeline about when I uh, found out about it. I believe it was on Saturday. I first noticed this was happening. And uh, what we had transpire in Jordan, mass protests broke out. They began to start calling this the second variation of the Jordan Arab Spring. Massive protests because a tax bill was implemented. It caused, on top of it, the gas prices, natural gas, all kinds of things to raise in the process. Well, 
come, I believe, let's see what date this was here. Uh, just a moment while I click over to the site where it came from because the date itself isn't in the program where I kept it from. This was yesterday, as a matter of fact, at 5.43 that I caught this one. This one actually is from Radah.net. Jordan PM resigns after anti-austerity protests. Folks, this is where things are going to get ugly. It's beyond any shadow of a doubt when something like this happens in Jordan. Yeah, that is ugly. But I think um, what I'm about to say here, folks that are heavily involved with backing our current administration, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. After the Arab Spring, after Muslim Brotherhood's failed attempt to rule over Egypt, the vast majority of them all went back into the shadows. You have to understand their main operating procedure on and off and on and off and on and off has been to basically run things from the shadows. There is one government in Africa that they set up. I don't know if it's still continuing to run to this day or not. But their main areas of uh, operation, it is those Gulf nations, all of which the American commander-in-chief made massive arms deals with when he was out in the Middle East, when he went to Israel and these other places. Folks, if you go back and listen over the course of the last year of the programs that we've done, I warned about this over and over and over again, that that move was a very dangerous move. And this is the coalition they're hoping to use via proxy to fight against Iran. When you understand how deeply embedded this one specific grouping of Muslim Brotherhood is through all these areas, including Jordan, we have danger signs here now, especially when they call this the second Arab Spring in Jordan, because Muslim Brotherhood was deeply involved with that Arab Spring as it broke out. Okay, even there's a major Syrian branch and they were directly involved and indirectly involved, even with things that broke out when the Civil War started in Syria. Now, when you see this same hand behind the scenes moving things in all these same directions. Now, I, would, I wish I was joking when I stated earlier, I've already found evidence that the Assyrian was at play in the very earliest stages when the Muslim Brotherhood movement got moving. I'm not kidding. With that video clip that I have up on the Overt Attention Show YouTube channel, taken from the Al Jazeera documentary on Islamic State, as three different witnesses come in and describe the same person that was hidden in the shadows. He was a complete controlling factor behind Islamic State, and nobody knew who he was. He wasn't of their orientation whatsoever. But I did notice something about him. And that even ties into the program I brought up when we did the program last week, Wolves and Sheep's Clothing. The founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, and they followed the same pattern afterwards, he knew to always don new outfits 
depending on where he was going. So, of course, they show up in suits and ties. And, of course, what did they depict this person as that's calling the shots with Islamic State, with al-Baghdadi? They show him sitting there in a suit and tie. You know, as I began to look deeper into all these events that trace back to 1979 and led to where we ended up on September 11th, I began to realize that this infamous figure that showed up there that was calling the shots with Islamic State, he had to be connected with Muslim Brotherhood as well. And folks, you best believe he is. And I don't know how far um, Matthew and Aaron have went concerning the Assyrian. But in due course, folks, you're going to understand why that is a singular noun. When we see these protests breaking out in Jordan like this, knowing full well on top of it that Muslim Brotherhood has been deeply embedded there. Okay, they've completely clamped down Qatar. As all these nations keep moving to knock Muslim Brotherhood out of the equation, or at least that's what they're stating. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that Mohammed bin Salman is one of them. But what I don't like is his operating pattern. Because in Saudi Arabia, you are always going to see him sitting there in the standard robes. But the second he got over to America and he made his trips to all the other European nations, what did he do? Suit and tie. He used the exact same pattern. And now, in the midst of everything, they even finally, the other day, they allowed women to drive. You got some strange parallels of things happening here, even just within these Gulf nations. But when you have something explode like this in Jordan, folks, we got trouble. We have major trouble happening here. And that's where, to kind of wrap this back around once again, to get people to understand something else that even ties into the last program we did. My roommate had brought up to me the other day that I had never heard anybody point out that these false church theologies were directly connected to the rise of Adolf Hitler. And I just kind of shook my head and went, what? I'm like, I knew about that when I was a kid. You, There's an article that just came out a couple weeks ago. As a matter of fact, it came out after we did that program on wolves in sheep's clothing. It stated it right there in the Heretz article, the exact terminology I just used. That's when you realize that you've got to start looking at a pattern here. I brought up different movements here that happened with uh, Nazi Germany. You know, folks, there's a uh, movie that I had not known about. We watched it last week called Colonia. And it's about Colonia Dignidad. This was a camp set up in South America where a bad shepherd, claiming to be a Christian, had a great big huge camp and they were torturing people and everything else. I've known about this place for the last couple of years. You know, and even uh, as in the description here, but the movie, you don't even know it unless you've read the description because they didn't even tell you that they were Nazis. And here's the description. A woman attempts to escape an evil, torturous cult run by a Nazi to rescue her boyfriend and overthrow a terrifying military regime. Inspired by shocking true events. Yes, folks, this place exists. 
if you even go in and uh, watch the latest History Channel program, Hunting Hitler, they go in there and take a deep look around. Now, I may not agree with some of the conclusions from that show. I don't agree that Hitler himself is out there running around, but there were plenty of war criminals that were out there. And the only major beef I had with that show is those guys, their investigation led to some really good spots, I kid you not, but unfortunately they went into it without knowing their history. And if they would have went in there knowing their history ahead of time, well, they would have found a lot more to this. But yes, this was one of the Nazis' camps. The rat lines were being run through the churches. I mean, folks, if you want to get up to speed on a few of these things, well, I've got a couple of sets here. I'll go through that set. First, John Loftus, who, like I stated before, State Department, he was investigating the Nazi war criminals underneath Carter because Carter looked around and goes, why are all these Nazi war criminals here? How did they get here? Okay, his first book, America's Nazi Secret in Insider's History. If you get a hold of the newest version in digital, oh, I would definitely pay attention to the first two chapters because his uh, declassification time frame is done, and now he can speak freely. The first chapter and the last chapter are both dedicated to what happened on September 11th. The Nazi connection to the Muslim Brotherhood and a whole lot that he brings forward that is not hitting your mainstream reporting on this. I would highly advise taking a look over this. But then you take the stream forward. His next book, The Secret War Against the Jews, How Western Espionage Betrayed the Jewish People. Again, I would highly advise reading this. And then his last one, which I haven't had time to read yet, but I do have in my collection, Unholy Trinity, The Vatican's Nazi, Soviet Intelligence, and the Swiss Banks. And folks, unfortunately, like I stated, this is going to show you how deeply involved the church was in this whole movement. And then to add in the other spot to go, I went through his first book. I'm working on his brand new one that just came out on January 30th of 2018. If you want to get a grasp at what's going on with Iran... You, you can look at the American side. There's no problem with that. Unfortunately, I have yet to find a book that's even worth my time. They, they're pretty bad. The reviews are going to point out there's major discrepancies between facts and what they're actually saying. So I knew where to look. That meant I had to look at the Israeli side. And this book, his name is Ronan Bergman. The Secret War with Iran, The 30-Year Clandestine Struggle Against the World's Most Dangerous Terrorist Power. His newest one, Rise and Kill First, The Secret History of Israel's Targeted Assassinations. Now, why do I bring these things up? If you want to understand what is going on in the world today, you have to understand what is going on with the intelligence agencies. You have to make certain that you have got source material that is going to give you the reality of what's going on because you're going to come across people that are freelance authors that don't even really have any kind of access to actual interviews with the major important people in the equation or access to any of the files. And they're going to make up nonsense. You have to be very careful about your sources. And this is even like we've 
stated time and time again within the news. And folks, I see so many people out there posting stuff from news sites that you shouldn't be touching with a 10-foot pole. And this is sources. And I'm very specific about what we bring in. And to build this whole trail, there's a lot of work I have to go through. There's bits and pieces we're going to continue forward with. And I think Matthew took us onto a track where probably we, we had talked about in the past that we should probably go. Because in order to understand what's happening with Iran and our current events, well, then we do have to start at the beginning of this path that Alexander the Great took. That beginning of that path was in the Balkans. We've had that spark lit how many times throughout history? Our latest situation that happened there with the war that broke up Yugoslavia has everything to do with what we have been discussing tonight. Has everything to do with it. With the way situations are building as we speak in the Balkans, by all appearances, that spark's about to be lit again. That's going to be my... uh, Last odds and ends here for the time being. If you have anything else to add, Matthew, go right ahead. As far as I'm concerned, ladies and gentlemen, the crucible continues. Until next time, God bless. Godspeed. Brian? Thanks for joining us. God bless.